And we are live. Welcome everybody to the Contrarian Daily. My name is Jake Julius. This is Chris Jong. And we are talking today about more updates with Ukraine and Russia and the situation that's going on over there. We're going to be talking about some of the things that have happened today and uh, more updates since last night. We're also going to talk a little bit about some of the history of the last 25 years or so and why this domino has fallen and why we should be really keeping an eye on the next domino to fall and what they may be and what's come before this. Another thing I want to highlight today is the fact that Russia is in fact a, an energy superpower of the world, how that happened, why that's also really important, and then what potential implications that could have down the line. So uh, just to start it off, a few sanctions that was announced today by Joe Biden and other world leaders, uh, including barring Russia's four largest banks from access to the international banking system. Uh, that's SWIFT, one. right? They, they weren't barred Swift? from the SWIFT. They weren't okay, barred from the SWIFT, yeah. no, yeah. not yet. That might, might be to come, but it hasn't happened just yet. Yep. Uh, freezing Russia's assets, some Russian assets in the US, uh, expansion of sanctions against Russian oligarchs overseas. Uh, NATO is planning a summit on Friday. I believe that means that it'll be tonight, Australia time, Friday, American time, I believe. Uh, US plans to move NATO tro uh, troops into NATO allied countries across Europe. So probably the likes of Poland and Lithuania that are sort of on the border of Russia there, but there's no plan for direct invasion or direct action yet from US troops into Ukraine. Uh, so also uh, there's been a lot of, you know, sanctions being talked about on the part of European countries to Russia, and this is going to create a real can of worms because obviously Russia, and we'll talk about this more later, is and as a superpower in the world in terms of energy and their gas exportation. So they do have the ability to cripple other economies. If you look at Germany is one of the biggest economies in the world, for example, and they get 50% of their gas from Russia. Germany is obviously a NATO allied country. So we need to be really keeping an eye on that situation as well, because the uh, war and war of sanctions and war of resources is something that's probably going to be the first big thing to happen in this conflict. So uh, watch your energy prices, watch your own gas prices. And I don't mean just people who drive cars. I mean, every product that you can think of has to be driven to that place. Um, so there's many more deeper implications of having gas prices increase. It'll increase the cost of everything. So with that, I'll hand it over to you, Chris. And talk about some some stuff that's happened today yeah definitely well i i know um they were talking earlier about five dollars a gallon um in in terms of petrol over in the usa uh in terms of it hitting that level apparently it's already at that level at uh some places in uh california yeah. so yeah definitely i think i, I just want to second what you're saying <clears throat> there too every single resource and every single thing that we buy or sell that comes from a physical store has to get there by some sort of transport truck plane uh boats whatever it is so then definitely the energy fuel will cause everything to go up hence we've already seen the, the rhetoric out of the usa in terms of them talking about uh this causing inflation uh mm -hmm. definitely a, a big issue there but i do want to sort of show we're going to go round two we're going to try to get some footage showing as well because there's been a lot happening since our last stream um was it less than 24 hours ago it, yeah. it is definitely a full a full-scale invasion of the ukraine there's been yeah. conf confirmation of uh bombing and 
uh, attacks in Kyiv as well, or Kiev, uh, I believe. The Ukrainians, I believe, say Kyiv. We're obviously used to saying Kiev. You say it however you'd like to say it, Chris. We yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm sure they're not <laughs> going to do too much. <laughs> but I want to try to get it right for the, for the guys over there too. But look, um, look, there's been a lot of um, uh, updates. The, the civilians are actually arming themselves and been pushing back as well. So we're going to have some footage of that as well. So just bear in mind as well, guys, this is actual um, footage from the ground. Some of it might be a little bit distressing depending you know again on uh who you are as you watch this so let, let's try to get this footage up and going uh for round two last night if you recall uh we had a few issues with that now let me just try um this for round two here now um i'm going to uh take out my earphones so you guys can hear the audio um <clears throat> so this this is actually uh i don't know if you guys have heard of snake island but uh, there's, this is a, an audio exchange between, um, Ukrainians who are manning this island here. There was 13 Ukrainian soldiers who were stationed on this particular island, um, before a Russian warship actually opened up. All 13 of them, unfortunately, had, uh, passed away, uh, is the, the footage. So definitely, uh, rest in peace to these guys. So let's see if we can get the footage here playing. We'll get the ad, we'll get the ad out of the way, and then, uh, we'll get into it. All right, let's see if we can hear it. And now we're listening to the Ukrainians, and this is it. Should I tell him to go F himself just in case? Ukraine's reply, Russian warship, go fuck yourself, um, is what they said. Now, this is uh, also footage from uh, the same people on the island. This is the last footage um, before the video ends. All right, so you can hear um, in that footage there the the cannon from the, the warship opening fire, and that's the last footage that's known footage recorded from that particular island. And how many casualties um, were there? 13 so 13 soldiers you can see for those of you who are watching i believe this is going to go into audio as well but for those of you who are watching you can see all 13 soldiers are going to be uh, allegedly awarded for heroism or heroism post posthumously posthumously um for their action a simple act of defiance guys of just telling the russian warship to go fuck themselves now that's you know i don't know about you guys but that's going to take some balls that's for sure yeah yeah i um, would have probably known that that was it for them as well well, that's it. Well, again, I'm not sure if you guys saw that, but there's a, a part that on the screen right now, the guy saying, look, this is it. You know, they knew what was coming uh, and they decided to go down defiantly, which, um, you know, you, you got to respect that no matter which side you're on. Uh, mm. We won't show this clip here, but th this is essentially just uh, some Russian soldiers. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll hear this. Um, again, <laughs> or if, you, if you're listening to the audio, I'll do my best to try to explain what's happening after <clears throat> the clip. But for those of you who are here, let's... Uh, listen to this this is uh civilians in uh where are they in sumi uh the city of sumi who've actually captured and are interrogating a, a russian soldier so that's they're asking him why were you sent here and he, he's apparently been telling them they're being sent there to gather people, right? And the the camera person's replied back with gather where we don't want this war, which is obviously, you know, full on. 
Мы не хотим войны, And the, for those of you who, who can't see the screens, well, the soldier apparently replies back, well, he doesn't know where they're meant to gather them and they don't want the war either, oh. apparently. Uh, what we'll also look at here is uh, this is this is a massive explosion that happened over the city of Kiev. Uh, Kiev and the, the speculation is it's either a, a Russian airplane that's been shot out of the sky or one of their cruise missiles as well. This is the same explosion from multiple different angles. It's a big fireball there that's uh, either the missile or the plane. And obviously all the stuff behind it is probably uh, chaff, which is used to try to get rid of um, missiles uh, as it's floating down to the ground. And we'll get this from a couple of different angles in this video here. I'll go ahead to another one. This is probably the best footage. Wow. Yeah. And this is over the city of Kiev. Fuck. Right, it's it, it's it's full on, and there's it's saying here um, they're getting mixed reports. It's either a Russian aircraft uh, or uh, the anti-air def defense system hitting the cruise missile as well, uh, which is full on. We've got um, there's footage here of captured soldiers from the Russian air assault brigade. Uh, apparently, according to the the translation here, they don't even know why that they're there. Uh, again, that could just be what they've been told to say in case of capture. Um, again, you can come back and watch that video if you want to. Uh, now, this is actually a firefight. Um, Russian uh, soldiers are opening up on this particular building here, which has civilians who are fighting back. This is not from the reports. So this is not civilians who are, you know, passive and you know, innocent, quote unquote, innocent. These are civilians who actually are fighting back against Chris, the Russians. I think I think that the Ukrainian government is arming citizens. They have been, yes. Like they even put out a report, like the, the Prime Minister even sent out a tweet saying that they're happy to arm citizens who want to fight the Russians. giving away free oh. guns, yeah, correct. Yeah. And I know over the last few weeks they've been training the civilian population for uh, fighting, and that came through from, again, if you watch the video from last night, we showed the slides from the S2 underground. They've been covering this and tracking this very, very closely, and they've been saying they've been preparing for civil defence for the last few weeks in the Ukraine. Um, and I believe martial law has martial law's been imposed, so no... Um, military-aged males can leave the Ukraine, and you're right. They're actually giving them uh, free guns to to defend themselves. So uh, this, again, this is footage of apparently Russian soldiers shooting at the building where the civilians are, are located. Uh, we don't see any return fire, but uh, let me actually go full screen to you guys so you guys can hopefully get the best um, footage of this. So you'll see the traces coming into the building. So there's one, and then you'll watch a, a bit more coming in now as well. And again, it's, it's, it's full of a bit like... Mm. you know the footage is coming in here like this is full-on stuff that you're seeing whether there's people being hit inside there you just don't know but this is civilian soldiers uh, or civilians who are opening up on the russians now this last clip will show before we go back to you jay because i know you've got a lot to say uh we can come back to more footage later but this is uh ukrainian civilians uh who are vowing to defend themselves and they're calling on others to join them as well guys so wow. again, uh yeah th this I don't know, for me, I just can't help but respect people like this who are willing yeah. to learn how to defend. Again, no matter which side you fall on, and again, I feel sorry for the Russians involved, I feel sorry for the Ukrainians mm. involved. This is a terrible situation for the people. Um, and, yeah, just, just listen to this, and I'll, I'll give you the translation as well after. We are the organization of the 
І нехай ми проліємо всю власну кров, це кров буде віддана за нашу батьківщину в боротьбі з російським окупантом. Ми закликаємо кожного з вас зараз взяти в руки зброю, незалежно, ви перебуваєте в ще проукраїнських містах, чи ви вже перебуваєте під окупацією, і знищувати росіян, де це тільки можливо. Ці мерзоти мають гріпі в пеклі, і ми маємо допомогти їм туди потрапити. Слава Україні! I got chills down my spine when I hear that. Now, guys, the translation is literally what they were just saying is, we are representatives of Kyiv. Today we stand to protect our capital from any Russian scum that tries to come through Kyiv, and if they come here, we will destroy them. Today we will call upon all of you to take up arms and join us in fighting back against the Russians. They will burn in hell, and we'll help them get there. Glory to Ukraine and glory to the heroes. Poor guys, like that, that is, yeah, it's civilians joining the fight and again there's plenty of other footage we'll get to but jake i know you've got a lot to say we'll come back to you then mate and um yeah we'll, we'll come back to this if you want to later on yeah just a few things on that i'm just glad to see them all wearing their masks as well <laughs> <laughs> there was one guy in the back there that was wearing his mask <laughs> was wearing a, a cloth yeah. mask so that i'm just mm. really glad that they're being careful of omicron at the same time while the russians are about to invade them but yeah no um the, the footage of the bomb going over Kiev is just like it, it looks like an like a nice city and you can imagine that in Brisbane or Gold Coast or wherever it's just oh, it's just crazy but um I think I, something that I really wanted to highlight today was the fact that since well I mean Putin has been in the chair for a long time but especially over the last 20 years or so I was reading today that the sentiment towards the old Soviet Union way of life has actually become a lot more positive because I think that there is quite a lot of nostalgia in, in Russia for the old Soviet way of life, which to us just seems absolutely crazy. But as of 2019, there was a poll in Russia that showed that 70% of Russians approved of Stalin's role in history. And that's apparently a lot higher than it would have been 15, 20 years back. And Putin has really revived the old sort of Soviet style military parades and the extreme nationalistic types type energy in the country. So I think it's interesting just that fact alone that there is some sort of a nostalgia for probably what was the most the worst and most atrocious regime of the 20th century. I don't think there's anything that really rivals it and that the the horror that Stalin imparted and imposed on on the people of the Soviet Union, especially Ukraine mm. and Russia. Yeah, and can I just, can I just add as well, like I, I, I'm sure that the sentiments are definitely rising, but it's not all of them because I've seen footage which we can show as well. The Russians are actually out there protesting. There are a number of Russians out there protesting the war. So uh, it's, it's just like everywhere. There, there's definitely a rising sentiment likely, but um, there's also the counter sentiment as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there would there would have to be. I don't, I don't imagine that the British shut down very quickly. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that they, yeah, I don't. I don't imagine that the Russian people would be overly thrilled about going to war with with mm. NATO, and with yeah. all of Europe and with with the US because it's not really one that they're likely to win. But there's going to be a lot of collateral damage on the way. But it's just. I think it's just interesting to to know that the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991. That's 30 years ago. So can you imagine how many KGB members? I mean Putin. But how many mm -hmm. KGB members there would still be out there? How many admirers of the Soviet Union? We're one generation removed from that. There would be so many people out, I mean, in Russia who would be all for the Soviet Union. Now, 
uh, over the last tw uh, 25 years or so, I think that there's been a few significant events. And that the first one that we should probably talk about is the handing over of power from the British to the, to the Chinese of Hong Kong that happened in 1997. And when that handing over of power happened, the British reluctantly left saying that China, as long as you keep promise to give Hong Kong their autonomy and their sovereignty, then we're happy to leave. And the Chinese are like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 sweet. You guys go and we'll do that for sure. 2020 rolls around and then China invade Hong Kong. So that was one thing. Another thing was obviously in 2021, we had Joe Biden pulling out of Afghanistan and then handing that over to the Taliban. Another sort of, another show of weakness. We didn't do anything about Hong Kong. We didn't do anything to rectify the situation in Afghanistan. We handed over the country back to them. And now the latest domino to fall is Ukraine and is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What's next after this? I think this is a really important question to ask because if, this, if these actions are constantly met with apathy by the West, then what's next? And I'm not saying, I'm not advocating for some big war. But what I'm saying is that we might, we might be too far along right now to the point where we could have done something a number of years ago, but we didn't do anything about it. And especially in the last few years, these things have, have, like, have really been bubbling over. What do you think? Yeah, I'm sure you're probably getting to this, but it just brings us back to World War II, right? And prior to World War II, exactly what was happening there. Um, I can't remember the, the name of the, I think the, the Prime Minister of Britain before Churchill, um, uh, just escapes me from what in the moment there, but he was trying to appease Hitler. And they were saying, look, yeah, you can invade this particular country here and you can have that as long as you don't go any further. And they did everything they could to appease uh, Hitler as he continued to grow in power. And it wasn't mm. until they went too far. And that, that's what I think might be happening now. Perhaps the world leaders are sitting back waiting for them to go, quote unquote, too far, where war becomes nothing but a, uh, the only option. Um, and that, that might be what they're trying to do here because that's what happened in World War II. They let Hitler grow and grow and grow, take over territories and countries, and then they just let it happen. Uh, and then it got to the point where the, it was beyond control. And look, I don't necessarily agree with that approach. I, I think I, I agree with what you're saying there too, Jake, in terms of having, you know, there, there are steps that could have been taken prior to all this sort of stuff happening that would have avoided all this, and it just hasn't been uh, followed up by the, the governments around the world. Yeah, well, I think you pretty much alluded to exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that we've got all around the world, we've got the, the US trying to appease people. And we've got US trying to do deals with Iran. We've got them trying to do deals with China, trying to do deals with Russia to try and appease them. And I think that at some point we have to sort of sit back and say, the people of those countries, they don't have the same democratic dream as we do. They don't want to be like us. They desire power more than anything. And if you look at China, for example, they don't desire a you know democratic country where everybody can you know start a business and you know have ultimate freedom like we do. That's just not their their aim. And if you look at their twenty forty nine goals, it's not their aim whatsoever. The Soviet mindset and the and the Russian mindset is not the same as that either. These people don't want the same lifestyle that we've got. Now so, you're, you're just referring to the people in charge, right? Just to clarify the the people in charge of China and Russia, or are you saying the actual people of China and Russia as well? Well, I mean, this is where it gets interesting because there was an interesting book, I, um, it escapes me what it was called, but it was a lady who went and interviewed people of the Soviet Union. 
and of people who were in the Soviet Union. And basically, uh, she interviewed one man in particular, and he had been enslaved by Stalin, and he'd been beaten half to death by one of the guards, and then he'd met the guard later on, and then the, the guard and him had agreed that they, they share the motherland, not in those words, but they share the same motherland, so they have that in common. And then when she was interviewing this man, uh, he said that when he walks into his grandchildren's room, all he sees is foreign this, foreign that, everything's made overseas, there's nothing from the motherland. And he said he'll die a communist and that's that. So I think that we, I don't think we, we really understand the, the level of, of nostalgia and patriotism they have in those countries towards those regimes. And it sounds crazy, but I mean, 70% of Russians thinking that Stalin's role in history was positive is, is an indicator that we may think that they're all, I mean, the, the likelihood is that many of them don't want to return to the Soviet Union. It, I, can, I, I think that's pretty obvious, but I don't think we quite understand the level of patriotism and nostalgia they have towards that period of time. So an interesting um, concept, actually. I'm just thinking through to like even like how this relates to the mandates and stuff like that too. Like, and how uh, I wonder if, if there was a survey taken here in Australia, how many people actually approve of everything that's been going on, whether we'd get the same sort of seventy thirty split, you know, potentially as well. It's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, but it's also that people ultimately, and if there's anything that the pandemic has shown us, it's that people ultimately desire safety over freedom. And then I think that the vast majority of Australians have have been that way. They've they've wanted everybody to wear a mask and they've wanted mandates and maybe not the vast majority. And I think the elections will be a critical time in understanding how silent the silent or how much of a majority the silent majority is. But yeah, it's definitely a fascinating concept. And if you, if you I don't know if you ever have talked to many people from China about the Chinese Communist Party or about the regime in China. Generally, they have a reverence towards Xi Jinping and they have a reverence towards the Chinese Communist Party. I don't think that it's all they, they have the same sort of sentiments as us towards towards their national parties. What do you think? Yeah, I think it definitely depends on who you talk to. I know um, quite a few people um, from there and then obviously they're out here and uh, a lot of them are they're actually afraid to speak out against it. And so whether they, they might have the same sentiments but whether they speak out against it because even though they're out here, their families are back there and they're, they're definitely not, not afraid of uh, imposing things. But I, I do agree there'll be a lot of them over there who do agree and who would go along with it. Um, but I, I do think it depends on who you talk to and whether you're talking to them over somewhere like the internet that they can actually uh, be picked up on and uh, mm. you know, news coming back to, the, to China and the mainland about this. But I, I, I'm aware of, uh, of multiple people, let's just say the people I know of who... Um, yeah, they're definitely not not for it. But again, it's a small small minority, you know, possibly. possibly so, I think it's there's it's an interesting discussion to be had, and obviously we don't have the answers for all of this. But I think that that's a it's just an interesting conversation. I heard Ben Shapiro talking about this exact thing this morning, and uh, yeah, I thought I'd bring that up. But another mm. thing that I really wanted to talk about today was the was Russia as as an energy superpower in the world. So I think it's. One of the main points here is that the fact that during Trump's presidency, he made the United States energy independent. And that was one of the greatest things that he did. So the Keystone Pipeline was something that was a huge step in making America energy independent. 
And when Joe Biden got into office, one of the first things that he did to appease the climate change mob was to get rid of the Keystone Pipeline. And now, now that means that they have to go and get cheap oil off of Russia because another thing that Biden did was he approved the Nord Stream Pipeline, which went through Germany and was the Rus massive Russian source of gas. So now America imports 600,000 barrels a day from Russia. So it's a gigantic portion of their gas that they import from Russia, whereas just the Keystone Pipeline would have would have imported or would have created 830,000 barrels a day for America. And now they've got to go and get that from Russia. So whilst it's you know all very noble for Joe Biden to have canceled the Keystone Pipeline and not made all of this cheap oil, they're now getting it from somewhere else because obviously they, they need the oil. So they're going to go, they need the gas, sorry. So they're going to go to Russia and then they're going to go to Saudi Arabia for oil. So this is a, this is a really critical, critical thing here because now that Russia have the, the Nord Stream pipeline, obviously, they're a, an energy superpower. They supply most of Europe's, not most of Europe's energy, they supply a lot of energy to other countries around Europe. So, for example, I mentioned before that 50% of Germany's uh, gas comes through Russia. And Germany is a huge economy. So if Russia was to turn around tomorrow and stop giving gas to Germany, then the implications on their economy would just be enormous. So what I'm trying to say here is that Russia has the ability to single-handedly almost collapse the economies of countries all around Europe and to have a huge impact on the economy of America. So as much as, you know, it doesn't really get talked about as much, this is a gigantic problem. This is a real ace up the sleeve of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think it was also a big criticism of uh, the Biden regime as well as the fact that he's making the USA more dependent on foreign countries for their energy when they have more than enough themselves um, to look after themselves. And this is what, you know, this is what happens. They get vulnerable to these sorts of situations, which unfortunately the US taxpayer and also all of us plebs and taxpayers over here in Australia too, we're, we're the ones who are going to have to foot the bill for this as well, which is a real shame. Yeah, and I'm interested to know what kind of an impact it's going to... And have you done much research on what kind of an impact it could potentially have on Australia? Because I mean, I've been looking at it from especially just because of the the NATO alliance and the sort of... Because that's really going to be the hot spot. That's going to be the hotbed. I mean, you've got... An, an, another really important aspect of this is going to be the cyber warfare or the the... the the different styles of warfare that Russia could impose on the Ukraine. So, for example, if they were to cut the energy in Ukraine and they were to they, they were to get rid of the electricity, that would then, in turn, affect countries like Poland and countries like Lithuania, who actually border Ukraine, uh, Poland for sure. And then parts of Poland would then lose energy. So Poland is a part of NATO. So I think it's Section 5 or Article 5 of the NATO alliance, which would suggest that that would mean that the NATO countries would have to kick into gear because Poland, one of the NATO countries, has been affected by what's happening in Ukraine. And then there'd also be NATO soldiers in Poland who say, for example, they're driving their trucks and they have a car accident because the stoplights aren't working in this area of Poland. That means that that's a direct action of the Russians. So... There's other ways in which NATO could become more heavily involved. And just one of them is if those bordering countries are affected because they are NATO countries. 
Yeah, I think for us in Australia, we'll have um, knock-on effects, you know, and I think it really comes down to what China does as well because I was listening to Patrick Bet David earlier on today and he was saying that it's very interesting that China's been so quiet throughout this whole situation. Like, we haven't heard anything from China and I think for us in Australia, if anything's going to directly impact us, it's going to come from whatever China does as a result of this. Uh, but if they don't do anything right now, I do think we'll have the, the knock-on effects because the, the whole economy around the world is very interconnected and so... You know, what affects Europe will then affect the USA, which then affects mm -hmm. us, and it's a big effect now. The other interesting thing as well is that um, Ethereum uh, spiked in price pretty much the, the moment the invasion began. And interestingly enough, the markets in the early stages, at least, had shot up as a result of this, which I thought is very unusual because I would have thought... My crypto wallet's not looking very good, so... <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> you mustn't have Ethereum. <laughs> I've got a bit of Ethereum. Maybe that's okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, that, that might be performing right because I know that definitely the price shot up for that um, pretty much the moment the invasion began. So, right. yeah, what I, I do think is it is going to do, the other impact it's going to have on us is just the uncertainty impact. You know, it's kind of like when um, when COVID first hit and people were really uncertain about what's going to happen, uh, similar to what's going to happen now, I believe, in terms of when you don't know what's happening in the immediate future, you're likely to pull back your spending. So we'll obviously probably see people pulling back in their spending a little bit maybe thinking about or second-guessing what their decisions have been um, and what they're likely to do in the near future. Because right now, we are just so uncertain. We have no idea what this is going to do for the future. Mm. And when that happens, people tend to freeze and just put their plans on hold. So I think that's going to be interesting to see what happens over here. Yeah, for sure. But I think that one that we should really, and I keep hammering on about this, is that the China-Taiwan situation is looking more and more inevitable. Even since last night when we talked, it's looking more and more inevitable. And I don't mean it might happen this year, it might happen next year, we don't know. But the knock-on effect of this could be China having the confidence to then invade Taiwan. And as much as militarily, that's actually a very difficult operation, that's why it hasn't happened yet. At the same time, if the whole world is distracted over here with what's happening in Eastern Europe, then there's no reason why China, with being as audacious as they are, wouldn't go and do that. And if they do invade and manage to annex Taiwan, the next one on the chopping board is Japan. And we know that from the Chinese civil war in the, in the 20th century, Japan and China have had wars before. There is bad blood there. J Ch Japan are no fans of China and China are no fans of Japan. We know that. So that would be the ultimate fear that Taiwan have become taken over are taken over by China and then China move on to Japan. And then this is obviously down the line, it's very speculative, but after Japan, we're next. We would be the next domino to fall as, a, as Australians because you know, we would be quite easy picking for China due to our military strength. Yeah, I, I also think Taiwan would be pretty easy for China to be honest with you. But I think also um, that's also the point where the USA would uh, be drawn in because they've, they've obviously got the promises they've been exchanging with Taiwan that if anything does happen to Taiwan, they would step in. Do you think they'd step in when China goes for Taiwan or do you think they'd sit back and let it happen? I think that they'll step in, yeah. I think that they have shown quite a bit of reluctancy and trying to appease and trying to do deals and with these countries that they just don't care for integrity and honesty. Like the governments of, of China, they have one goal and one goal only. And all you have to do is do a little bit of research about their 2049 plan to make China a superpower. Historically, over the last few uh centuries or even thousands of years there's been many different chinese emperors and at times they've been the superpower of the world and that's the way that they see themselves as the superpower of the world and 
when when they were defeated you know by the mongolians and you know during the 20th century when they had times where they weren't an economic super, uh, superpower that's viewed as, a, as such a great shame in china and they view themselves as those superpowers so i don't really think that they have as much regard for other countries as we maybe give them credit for in some places but what was the question again <laughs> yeah, I, don't I, do. <laughs> I don't think i have any regard i was thinking whether i was asking whether the usa would get involved once taiwan um, yeah no I, I do think so i do i think that the usa have a really good track record of getting involved and obviously things have have changed a lot but at, at the end of the day usa are a, somebody who see them as the, themselves as the superpower of the world as well so china taking taiwan is in terms of the chessboard that is the world is a huge move it's almost taking taking the queen in a way because you know obviously that's that's one place in which the us has always said that they would get involved if they try and take taiwan and i think you were saying yesterday about the resources in taiwan yep. as well and it's, yep. it's a big stronghold yeah 100 if, if, if china takes taiwan then it's pretty much the the vast majority of the um, I think it's the rare earth minerals or whatever they're called. Uh, that's all the stuff that's used to create microchips, which is in all of our technology, would be in the hands of China. I think that's a bridge too far for the USA. Uh, and yeah, definitely, I, I do agree with that too. And then um, China's imperial powers then would move on to Japan. And like, this is not something that gets talked about because all we hear about is Taiwan, Taiwan, Taiwan. But like I said before, China are no fans of Japan. And to, to have a war that they would pretty pretty comfortably win against Japan. I don't think that that would be off the table. Yeah, well, I think what, what we're looking looking at here is a period of a lot of instability around the world with geopolitics and all, obviously all the COVID situation and the, the, the um, authoritarian issues with the Western governments. So definitely in for a, a wild time ahead. What we might do, we might just, um, Jack, I know you've got to head off so, uh, shortly. We might just continue on with some more footage and stuff from the Russian situation because there's plenty of it here. Um, Feel free. I don't know if you need to head off now. If you I want probably to need off. to love you and leave you, Chris. Yeah, okay. You, well, you what I'll do is I'll continue on and I'll, I'll go back for some more uh, footage from Russia and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon, mate. All right, we'll reconvene soon. Sounds good. See you later. Take care, guys. All right, for those of you who are still with me, um, what we're going to do is go back to Funker 530 and we're going to have a look at some more footage from the uh, the situation. Now, again, this is direct footage from, uh, from the Ukraine. Uh, and again, we will be covering some stuff that is not safe for work. So, if, you know, NSFW. So if you do have uh, any issues with that, just make sure you, you do not watch those parts. Um, okay, let me just get the right parts here. So, <clears throat> okay, so this is footage from uh, basically, this is from prior to the invasion. This is not from you know, the last you know, few hours. This is from prior to the invasion. This is a whole bunch of the rockets uh, hitting ready for the prep the invasion again we have to get through this five seconds worth of ads and here we go with the footage guys so you'll notice them over here on the side of the screen Oops, hold on let's see if it's going to keep on playing for me again let me get out of full screen no i think i know what's going on i think it doesn't like when i've got so many tabs open let me just close this out we're going to go through these one at a time guys because there is a lot. And again, I highly recommend if you want the latest footage and the information that's coming out of Ukraine uh, and also just general combat footage, uh, Funker 530 is the place to go. So let's have a look at this one here. This is actually um, a cruise missile hitting the airports. Uh, again, this is uh, yesterday. This is not from the last few hours. This is not new. This is from yesterday. 
Oh, it's going to do it to me again. Come on, guys. Look, what I might do is I'll, I'm going to stop the screen and I'm going to open up a new window and see how we go. Because I know Funker 530, they've been having a lot of footage coming through to them. Uh, and earlier on today when I was watching, they had a the 530 error. So I think they're getting a high volume of traffic right now. Let me just come back over here and we'll try this one more time. If it doesn't work now, we'll just wrap the stream up and we'll hopefully try again later. Earlier on today, it was working just fine. Uh, even while we're on the stream as well. So let me just load up these uh, these bits of footage. Uh, and we're just going to go one at a time. And let me find that bit of footage there as well. Here we go. Okay. And let me just share the screen. Bear with me, guys. I'm going to share this particular window. The window, Funker 530. Stephen says, it appears that our site's currently under attack. We are working to mitigate it as quickly as possible. Yeah, that, that's thank you for that, Stephen. Yeah, 100%. Again, I think they're getting DDoS situations as well because the other thing too that, as you've said on that comment there, mate, they are posting information about Russian casualties. Uh, they've got footage of air, aircraft being shot down, Russian prisoners, all those bits and pieces. I'm sure Russia doesn't want that showing um, out there to the public. So let's have another look at this and let's see if we can get this playing. Because uh, again, guys, it is really important to see what's going on on the ground. So that's a, a Russian caliber cruise missile hitting into one of the airports there in Ukraine, uh, which is absolutely terrifying. Just how close that is to the civilians there as well. There are reports of mass civilian casualties uh, in certain areas around Russia as well, around Ukraine, my apologies. Uh, let's look at um, this footage here is also terrifying. I'm sure this, is, this has been doing the rounds. I'm sure you might have seen this already, but if you haven't, this, this is pretty much front-on footage of an airstrike uh, on a, a piece of property right next to the person who's recording the video. So let's have a look at this. So you'll see the plane coming in here. And again, I, I don't know about you guys watching this, but just hearing that that child in distress is extremely, uh, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's gut-wrenching hearing that as well. Um, what we might also look at here, this is, uh, let's have a look at the Russian tank column. Uh, where is that one there? uh da, 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 da. there's a burnt out wrecks from the russian column here we go this one here um again this might get us pulled off um the streams but this is the aftermath of um let me just actually just skip past that part there a uh, Russian tank column that has been destroyed by the Ukrainian army in Kharkiv, apparently, according to the video here. Um, and we've also got uh, footage of the Ukraine uh, military blowing up a bridge to prevent the maneuver, the, the movement of the Russian military as well. This is happening, I think, last night. Um, you'll see this is the crazy part as well. Like this is all being captured by civilians or civilian footage. And there you'll see, I think it's a taxi that's just driving up the road there towards where the blast is going to take place. Absolutely mind-boggling. You'll be happy to know that taxi driver is okay and, and he actually turns around and comes back the other way. 
Um, but it's just, it's, the thing that's really fascinating for me is looking at all this sort of stuff is you think back to previous wars and things like that, even in Afghanistan and Iraq, the, the level of footage and even the timeliness of that footage just wasn't really available like it is now. And you can see here on the screen, the screen here, the taxi driver, he's coming back the other way. Um, so he is a-okay. No need to, to stress about that there. Um, but look, guys, look, the footage we're seeing, this is all happening in real time. And this is happening, you know, over, it's over the other side of the world. It's in Ukraine. Um, while we're sitting here living our lives, and again, today here in Australia, or where I am on the Gold Coast, it's been, you know, rainy weather. It's been quite peaceful. It seems like everyone's going around their daily, their day-to-day -day lives. This is normal. But again, it's hard to imagine that this is what's happening over there right now as we speak as well, and plus a lot more as well. Um, one thing I was also going to mention about that too was, um, let me just think about what I was going to mention with that. Oh, yeah, that's also the, the, the um, warfare as well. In terms of previous wars, uh, for the most part, were conducted between countries that never really had civilians traveling you know, to their places. So you think about World War II, there weren't that many people who were traveling. Think about Vietnam, not many people who were from America went to Vietnam even with Korea uh, and even Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff like that as well. So it's really interesting for me here because the Ukraine and Russia, they got such close ties. And this is, you know, I'm sure the Russians probably consider this more of like a, a civil war type situation because they've got a lot of history where they believe that the Ukraine is part of Russia. Um, it's just, it's going to be fascinating to see where, how this works in the future of warfare when civilians have traveled to these countries quite regularly. So even with China and Australia or China and other, other areas, Russia and, and Europe and everything. There's, I know several people from Russia, you know, and they're all lovely people. And uh, I know several people from the Ukraine as well, also lovely people. And it's just, I, I know, the, the more that we get to know people from around the world, I think it's just insanity that, that this is actually happening. Um, what we might do, guys, before we wrap up the stream here, we're going to look at maybe a couple other pieces of content from Funko 530. And again, Stephen, thanks for the update they made about the fact that they are confirming that they are under attack uh, from I'm assuming DDoS uh, attacks uh, trying to bring bring down their sites. That's one thing as well. Russian the Russian military capability with cyber warfare is very strong. Um, it's definitely one of their strong points. So we can definitely expect over time a lot of this footage to slow down as well because uh, I've no doubt that they'd be uh, trying to engage in electronic warfare of some sort, so trying to shut down or slow down the internet to prevent footage from escaping uh, the war zone there. Uh, what we might look at before we wrap this up is um, maybe this uh, helicopter that's been shot down. And we might also look at this aircraft that's been shot down as well from, from the Russian side. Um, so this is footage of, again, apologies for the ad that's coming up. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, footage apparently for of one of the Russian uh, KA-52 attack helicopters has been shot down. You can see the, the hull uh, with a bit of what appears to be damaged there just behind the, the missile there. And a whole bunch of shrapnel damage up there as well. From the looks of it, the, the doors are open, whether the civilians have opened the doors prior to, or whether the pilots escaped and got out. Um, who knows? But it's absolutely fascinating to see this as well. Now, what we'll also look at here, this is footage of a Russian aircraft being shot out of the sky. Again, you'll see the parachute of a pilot. So thankfully, again, you know, no matter what side of this is you're on, surely you can't help but think that, you know, the loss of life is, is not a good thing. So thankfully, in this case, at least one parachute um, deployed. 
Ah, yeah, it doesn't like when I go full screen. Hold on. I forgot that. Let me just load that up again. Mm, they might be under that attack again. Guys, what we might do, we might wrap up the stream with that right there because, again, uh, as Stephen was saying as well, it's been confirmed that the Funko 530 site is under attack. Uh, well, they, they believe they are under attack with their uh, uh, capabilities. Let's see if this plays. No, it's not going to play. No, so what we'll do, we'll, we'll wrap up the stream with that one, guys. I do highly recommend if you want the latest footage and the latest updates, do go to Funko 530. They're posting a lot of it um, uh, regu as regularly as they can. And it's also been confirmed by, because, again, they're all veterans from the U.S. military. Um, so it has been confirmed by those guys as well. So we'll wrap up the stream. I'm glad you joined us. We'll be continuing to do this, uh, especially over the next few days as well as things develop as Again, right now, I think everyone's at the situation where we just don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, and again, the more, the quicker we know what's going on, the quicker we can make our decisions about what we need to do for us and ourselves. And again, I don't think there's going to be massive implications for us in Australia right now. But again, uh, there are going to be knock-on effects. Uh, one thing as well I, I am aware of is that the uh, Ukraine, I think, I believe they supply 50% uh, of the wheat, I believe it is, to Europe and everything too. So that's obviously been uh, frozen uh, let me just have a look at this here. So the update was, uh, yeah, so wheat prices have soared, um, obviously because of this whole situation. Um, where is the actual updates from here? So again, another another person to follow for this sort of thing is the Ice Age Farmer. So uh, they're saying wheat, yeah, here we go. Wheat prices are up sharply on Thursday because of the whole thing that's kicked off uh, between them. Uh, the, the Ukraine and Russia account for nearly a third of the world's wheat exports. So that, that's crazy to think about that. They're a third, you know, obviously the Ukraine and Russia, a third of the world's wheat exports. Now, food is has been high on the agenda leading up to this as well. We, we've been talking about that from the global reset or the, the great reset perspective, but this is a direct warfare perspective too. And uh, also as of today, ports have closed in Ukraine um and so therefore all the exports of the the wheat grain uh have ceased so guys just be be aware of what's going on try to keep up to date with it so you know what the knock-on effects are going to be and with that uh, we'll see in the next stream coming up in the next uh within the next 24 hours we'll see you soon